Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage this morning comes from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. Listen for what God is to say to us this morning. One time after eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah got up and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting in the chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. Hannah was very upset and couldn't stop crying as she prayed to the Lord. Then she made this promise, Lord of heavenly forces, just look at your servant's pain and remember me. Don't forget your servant, give her a boy. Then I'll give him to the Lord for his entire life. No razor will ever touch his head. As she kept praying before the Lord, Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah was praying in her heart. Her lips were moving, but her voice was silent. So Eli thought she was drunk. How long will you act like a drunk? Sober up, Eli told her. No, sir, Hannah replied. I'm just a very sad woman. I haven't had any wine or beer, but have been pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think your servant is some good-for-nothing woman. This whole time I have been praying out of my great worry and trouble. Eli responded, then go in peace, and may the God of Israel give you what you've asked from him. Please think well of me, your servant, Hannah said. Then the woman went on her way, ate some food, and wasn't sad any longer. May God bless our understanding and reading of this scripture. Please join me in a word of prayer. God, we thank you that you meet us in spaces and places that um, sometimes don't feel like uh, you're actually there. We pray that you would meet us here. Open our hearts and minds to receive what it is that you have to say to each one of us and to us as a collective community. May we have the courage to hold what that message is and to figure out, to take the time to figure out together and alone what it means for who we are and who we are to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So um, we're going to begin this time of hearing God's word um, through a reading from, uh, by Will Gaffney, a womanist, an Episcopal priest, and associate professor of Hebrew Bible at Bright Divinity School in Fort Worth, Texas. Womanists love their wombs. It seems whenever I'm in a womanist space, women are talking about, laying, talking to, laying hands on their wombs, our wombs, my womb. But you don't know my womb or its story. And it's not just my womb or my story. Today I'm going to speak to and for wombs that hurt, wombs that hurt us. In this room and every room in which womanists celebrate their wombs and their fruit, 
children and the spiritual, emotional, creative, and ancestral conversations and processes that they locate not just in their bodies or bellies, but in their wombs. Some of us flinch. Some of us hurt. Some of us fold in on ourselves. Some of us hold our heads down in pain and shame, even if we don't move a muscle. Some of us hold our carefully composed masks as your words encircle us, negating our experiences and our truths. Our wombs hurt, and they hurt us. Some of us were born with broken wombs. Some of us were born with dead wombs. Some of us were born without our wombs. Some of us have been attacked by our wombs for as long as we can remember. Some of our wombs were broken into, raped and scraped into inhospitality and infertility when we were too young for our wombs to recover. Some of us have wombs that cannot or will not hold on to life, and we have tried, cried, paid, and prayed for womb life. Our wombs trickle, leak, and squeeze in heart and flesh-rending pulses the life out of our wombs. Our wombs bleed when they should not, not in a cleansing, healing flow, but a chunky, chunky, membranous, crimson tide running down our legs, staining our clothes, soiling our sheets, embarrassing and humiliating us in public and in private with our partners. Our wombs do not bleed when they should. They do not bleed because we have nothing to nurture with its rich blood. Our wombs don't bother to bleed because they know we have no eggs, no ovaries, or we have ovaries and eggs that are not worth its blood. Some of our wombs hurt so much that they must be taken from us, and no matter how much they hurt us, we don't want to let them go. Some of our wombs hurt because they have been taken away from us and ache for the children they will never bear. Some of our wombs hurt because the life we have given has been snatched away. Some of our wombs hurt because death came for our child and we had to carry that dead body in our body to term and push it into the world in a grotesque parody of the birth we had planned. Some of our wombs hurt because the child we birthed didn't survive the birthing. She didn't last the day, the night. He didn't live a week, a month, a year. Some of our wombs hurt because we can never accept our child's death at any age. Some of our wombs hurt because they were perfectly healthy and desperately empty, having never found anyone to love or be loved by. Sometimes, hearing our sister and mothers revel in their wombs and accomplishments, our wombs hurt all the more. For my sisters and mothers whose wombs hurt and hurt them. What do you do when your body betrays you? When you have done everything you possibly could have done to affect the desired outcome, but your body simply fails to cooperate, fails to have mercy on you, resulting in invisible and visible wounds whose pain lingers in places and spaces of body and soul that are so present and palpable. It's like a phantom limb. What do you do with that? I'd invite you all to place your hand over your belly. There are so many things that happen here, right? It's the place where we experience excitement and fear, anxiety and joy. It's where we feel hunger and fullness. It's where our food is processed to portion out nourishment, energy, and waste. 
It is in many ways the life center of our bodies and where for some life begins its spark. But for others, it's where life fails to spark again and again. And so this is where we find Hannah in today's passage. A little backstory on Hannah. Hannah comes to Shiloh every year for a special pilgrimage, and every year she goes, and every year her husband Elkanah makes a special sacrifice to God, and every year Elkanah would give more of the sacrifice to Penina, his second wife, and he would only give a small portion to Hannah, who he loves, but, well, them's the breaks. Penina's got all the kids. And so year after year, she would just she would not have to face humili- just humiliation from Penina, but be reminded of how much of a failure she is as a woman in a society where your livelihood and your future depends solely on your ability to conceive. I guess she's lucky, since it seems like Elkanah actually cares about her. But it's not about being loved by Elkanah. It's about something else entirely. My partner, uh, many of you know him as Mike, and I tried to get pregnant for seven years. Uh, Seven years of waiting, doctor's visits, tests, medications, treatments, special diets, on and on. I prayed ceaselessly, not even so much for a baby as for an answer to what to do. I am a process feminist theologian who on most days is comforted by a God who is deeply present to the world, flowing along in a gentle process of mutual change. I am drawn to this theology because it honors the complexity of life and acknowledges the real violence and suffering in the world. However, in the midst of my own long and painful waiting, this God no longer felt satisfying or even real. I wanted a God with a plan and with the power to execute it. God with a plan and the power to execute it. This is what Hannah is pleading for as we observe her prayer in this morning's passage. So sometimes when I get my daughter, Selah, ready for sleep, I, have to, I may have done like the routine perfectly, reading just enough books and singing just the right songs, making the lights dimmer and dimmer until they're out. And I may have done everything just right, But for whatever reason, she's not having it. So I rock her, and eventually I just have to put her down and let her fuss before she falls asleep. And there's this moment between her first cry and her second cry. However long that pause is, that's how bad you know it's going to be. (laughs) Because there's a moment when she cries so hard that there's no more breath. And it is silent before she takes that deep breath and letting out a terrible cry. And the measure of that silence is the measure of just how devastated she is to have been abandoned by her own mother in this godforsaken crib once again. Well, when I picture Hannah praying, I think of that space, that silence between not enough breath left and the deep gasp for oxygen space. She has no words left to shape her hope, her request, her deep soul pain longing. How could God abandon me in this God-forsaken body? So beyond the point of pain that she can barely feel anything. That's where she is. 
And everywhere she turns, Hannah is misunderstood. Her husband tells her essentially to buck up. Her sister wife, maybe the closest female in her life, who might understand the mix of agony and shame and hopelessness that she's experiencing, torments her and takes pleasure in her pain. And finally, her pastor completely misses what she is going through to the point where he mistakes her writhing agony for drunkenness. Hannah is thoroughly alone in her ache, maybe confused, maybe beginning to wonder if this God that she visits in Shiloh even hears her or sees her. This God even cares about her. This God even exists. Most days, I felt no answer to prayer. But one evening after another month with no sign of life in me, weeping in the kitchen, I heard loud and clear, wait, wait, wait. Though this long-awaited answer was far from satisfying. With time, I came to realize that waiting did not mean doing nothing. Rather, it meant doing the really hard work of recognizing and co-creating with God the way out of no way. Traversing this new way was going to be hard. It was going to require hard work and hard time. It turned out that the way forward was not an open door leading to a perfectly manicured walk, as I hoped or presumed it would be. It was more like a hard hike along a rocky cliff, a swim across a raging stream, or a walk through a dense forest. I had to work for it. Did God hear Hannah? God hear her? She begs and bargains, promising, using this interesting word, sha'al, which means to both ask and lend. What I sha'al, I will sha'al. What I ask for, I will lend to you, God. I'll give it back to you. We can work something out. But before she asks specifically for this, she asks this, Lord, just look. Just look at your servant's pain and remember me. Don't forget me. Remember me. Don't forget me. Underneath the specific request, underneath the presenting problem is this. Let me know that I matter. If not to my community, at least in the very least, and above all, let me know that you still think I matter. So Hannah has this conversation with Eli. And after something changes in her, Eli didn't say, your wish has been granted, or even, God has heard you. He says, go in peace, and may the God of Israel give you what you have asked. So here's what I think happens. Eli gives Hannah a kind of release. Go in peace. May God give you what you've asked for. In other words, you're not alone. I'm with you in this. I see you. And I am walking with you. It's not an answer, really. It's something else entirely. It's like, I feel your pain. You're not in this alone. It's not the baby boy she was asking for, um, and it's not the roadmap for how things are going to end up, really. But it's a kind of assurance. Hang in there. It might not be what you want. But it might be something you can't quite imagine for yourself. Keep with me, and let's, let's together create something. I eventually realized that the pain I felt in the midst of our infertility 
was in large part because this was not the story that I expected to live. In order to move forward, I had to create a new narrative. With this insight, things began to change. As I worked on creating this new narrative, God showed a way where I thought there was none. I learned that God could not create an answer and hand it down, just like God could not create a baby and hand it down. I am a co-creator with God, and that required that I, like God, change in light of the reality that confronted me. Moving forward required me to change in response to what had unfolded. I had to create new community, find people who would give me new wisdom, imagine myself in a new light, ask hard questions, unpack my presumptions, seek answers and resources, and wait. The way was made, and two years later, we adopted Ben. This experience of making a new way with God changed my understanding of what it means for God to work with us as we are to bring about what we could be. Furthermore, it showed me that it, what it means for us to work with God to create our own healing, liberation, and hope. To get to my baby, I had to take the time to become a new self. And in the midst of the becoming, I found that I was walking the new way that I never imagined was possible. Most of us are waiting, wanting to birth something. Most of us have a prayer, a hope, a vision that sits in the deepest wells of our being. From the imperceptible conception, that spark in your mind, God, would you? Could you? Through the quickening that only you can feel dancing on the edges of your imagination. Through the violent kicking that others could see, hands and feet making their imprints across flesh as they move, to the heavy, weighty presence stretching the limits of the ligaments and muscles of your hope, rearranging your bones and demanding more and more of your lifeblood until you are on your hands and knees, breathless with the agony of waiting and wanting and coming up empty every time. God, I am ready. Let this come to pass. Prayer is fearful possibility. Prayer is mysterious. Prayer is hopeful, grief-filled, and an exercise in the impossible. It stretches the ligaments and muscles of our hope, rearranges the bones of our soul, and we pray most intensely in those times and circumstances that lie just beyond our fingerprints, fingertips and fingerprints, just beyond our control. Those things that rest not in our ability, but in the, someone, in one who determines greater things than us. And when we come before God again and again and again and again with seemingly no response, it is painful and even grief-filled. What do we do with prayers that seem to go unanswered and without end? Sacrifice, like Elkanah? Do we bargain, like Hannah? Do we carve out a new and uncharted way forward, opening ourselves up to something beyond our imagination, like Carolyn? Or do we give shape to the pain, like Dr. Gaffney, giving others the words and the space to breathe in their God-forsaken realities, that maybe they thought there was no space for. 
no words for. There are just some things we cannot do. There are many things we cannot do. And so we wait. But while we wait, here's one thing we can do. Whether we are waiting to exhale or have been released to breathe deeply, we can bless one another as Eli did so long ago. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. We can release one another from isolation and shame and say, I am with you. Let's together step into that mysterious, hopeful, grief-filled, impossible place of fearful impossibility together. God, we thank you. We thank you for this space. We thank you for the waiting, even though we don't thank you for the waiting. We thank you that at least in the waiting, we don't wait alone. That there is space for those prayers that we don't have any more words left for, or the prayers whose shape is membranous and chunky and makes us embarrassed. We thank you that you hold those spaces and that you call us as community, as a community rooted and connected and bound in you, that we can hold that together, that we can have the courage and the bravery to hold that together, to hold each other up, to walk together, to create space for breath, deep breath, as we wait to exhale. Help us to be that space for one another and help us to claim that space when we need it. And together, help us to step into that place of fearful possibility that prayer creates. Amen.